about Scripture. You all have shared some wonderful stories. I have too many. The series ends today, so I've got to talk to our staff to figure out how we can continue to share these stories, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll do that. It's been wonderful. Today's story comes from Katie Zolnai, one of our young adult members, and she writes this. As a girl and young adult, I spent my summers at Girl Scout camp, camp, if I can pronounce it right, Kitimaquan on the Wacomico River. I hope I got it right. She said, it was my happy place, and I'm thankful that I've been able to go back there for little bits of time as an adult to spend with my Girl Scout sisters. One of my favorite spots there is located in Pine Ridge. It's one of the sleeping units, and it's been unofficially dubbed Hammock Haven. Hammock Haven, a hollow of trees perfectly spaced for multiple friends to hang their hammocks for rest time. Hammock Haven is near a steep drop-off to the great Wacomico River. While those trees are among my favorites, Katie writes, my favorite, all caps, tree is one that can be seen nearby. The tree is literally hanging off the edge of the ridge. It's still alive and thriving with its old, strong roots hanging on to the solid ground of the mainland. On one of my last trips to camp, Katie says, I was relaxing in my hammock and began to meditate on this tree. At that time, my marriage was struggling and heading to divorce, and I felt like giving up on so much. As I looked at this tree, I listened to the wind and to the water hitting the sand down below on the shore, and I thought of how strong this tree was and how strong I was. Katie said, I looked at this tree's exposed roots and saw the parallels of having strong roots in my faith in God, that I could be looking over the edge just like this tree and not fall in at that time into the very cold water down below and trust Jesus is my root structure and won't let me fall. And she says, church, I hope that you enjoy meditating on this tree as you can see the pictures as I have. I wish I could take every one of you there. It is truly a magical place. Amen. A wonderful tree story. And there will be more to come. Let's read about that tree Pastor Aaron talked about now in Revelation chapter 22. The sermon text is verses 1 and 2, but I'd like to read through verse 6 this morning. Then the angel showed me, this is John, the apostle, writing. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. 
They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that soon must take place. This is the beautiful word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. You remember the quote from the very first sermon in our series, Discovering God Through the Trees? It's from Martin Luther, the great reformer. He said, if I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would plant a tree. And during this series, we have acknowledged that the Bible says more about trees, Genesis to Revelation, than it does about any other living thing except human beings. So as we read scripture, we must pay attention to the trees. Every major character in the Bible has a tree or some part of it associated with their story. You remember Zacchaeus? He climbed up. In the Old Testament, so many characters. Moses and his staff. All kinds of wonderful images. Trees are necessary for life. You and I could not survive without them. They take in carbon dioxide and release oxygen into the air we breathe. They provide shelter to animals and insects and humans. They give us the wood that we're on the pews that we're sitting on, the paper that our Bibles are printed on, the filters that keep our water clean, the filters that made your delicious cup of coffee or that helped your tea steep this morning. They provide soil that keeps from, uh, they help from uh, the soil being eroded, provide shade from the hot summer sun. Today's going to be, what, 92 here in central Virginia and Richmond. They provide wood that heats the homes of many houses in, in the wintertime. It's no wonder that God calls this tree the tree of life. Trees give life. They help us survive. And we've come full circle in this final series, in this final sermon in this series, from the final book in the Bible. Not only that, but the final chapter in the Bible. Back to the tree of life. John, the writer of Revelation, is given a glimpse of a redeemed Garden of Eden. This is just a part of the new creation that will come out of heaven from God. John writes, the old order of things has passed away and all things are made what? Brand new. And he says, these words are trustworthy and they are true. Write these down, in fact. They are so trustworthy and true. The image of heaven is a redeemed garden of Eden. And John is writing of that which we will experience someday. 
Andre Crouch, the great hymn writer who has passed in, in, from us now, helps us sing this in the song he wrote, Soon and Very Soon. Do you know it? Raise your hand if you know it. Lots of you know it. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Hallelujah. Sing it with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to see the king. No more dying there. We're going to see the king. No more crying there. We're going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to see the king. No more mourning there. No more pain there. No more sickness there. No more COVID there. No more masks there. No more ICUs there. No more struggles there. No more disabilities there. None of that stuff. No homelessness there. No more hating there. No hurting there. No hunger there. No more thirsting there. No more fighting there. No more warring there. Soon and very soon, we're going to see our king. All things will be made like new. We will be made like Jesus with new glorious resurrected bodies. We will be able to rest and play and eat but not be overcome by it. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait a savior from there who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies that they would be like unto his glorious body. At every resurrection service, we service of the resurrection, that's our funeral services, we proclaim those words that God in giving us new resurrected bodies transforms us from our lowly estate like unto his glorious body. And that comes right there from Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. We are promised a heavenly city with 12 gates of pearls, each gate made of one pearl. Can you imagine what that is going to be like? There's no temple there because the Lord Jesus is the temple. The city needs no lights because the glory of God gives it the light and the Lamb of God is its lamp. Its gates will never be shut. There will be no more night, meaning no more death. With all this in mind, let's listen one more time to the words of John's vision of the heavenly Jerusalem again. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Oh, what a story. There will be the most luscious garden there. Have you planted your garden yet? Raise your hand if you planted your garden yet. I just planted mine a little late, but I just planted it. And not too long after, some of um, the critters ate all of the blooms off of my marigolds. And I am not happy about that. All right? No critter's going to eat the flowers in heaven. All right? Say, 
right? And, and I imagine if they were to eat it, that there would be so many that you wouldn't even notice any of them were gone, all right? It's, it's a place that is beyond our understanding. The word garden is used about 50 times in Scripture, and it often refers to a location by a home where a resident could spend leisure time. So imagine this glorious heavenly garden where we will be able to live and rest and enjoy the fullness of all that God desires for us. The description of the garden in heaven implies a redeemed Eden, a redeemed garden of Eden. The Bible introduces that to us in Genesis Eden was a place of direct fellowship with God. It represented the fullness of life. And before it was corrupted by sin and all the accompanying consequences, it was a beautiful, wonderful place. And here in Revelation, full circle describes what it's going to be like when we get there. The Bible begins and ends with a garden, a garden of divine presence, a garden where creation and creator are, are one, a garden of communion and companionship. In the New Jerusalem garden, John says the citizens will see the face of God. And that's an extraordinary statement because you remember in the Old Testament to see the face of God meant death. Moses feared seeing the face of God, but no longer. In the New Jerusalem, God is seen all the time. Seeing the face of God will be a commonplace occurrence. Far from taking life is what makes life everlasting. As John puts it, they need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. No more night means no more death. In the Garden of Revelation, it is described that there is a life-giving river. There is a tree of life. And there's different fruit each month. You don't need to sign up for the fruit of the month plan and get that bill. You, you can just go pick it. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? I think today I will have apple. Oh, and next time we're going to have some of the orange and so forth. And that's just the one tree. Imagine all of the others. It's a place where one can see God face to face and have no fear. And a place there is no death. All of this matches the Eden which Genesis speaks of. In Eden, a river flowed to water. What grew there? A tree of life grew there. And although Genesis does not explicitly say that our first parents viewed God's face, we can understand that there must have been that kind of interaction because after there was disobedience, they hid from God. Remember that story. What John sees then in his vision of this new Jerusalem is Eden restored. Just as the Bible's opening chapters are about humankind being expelled from paradise, its closing chapters are about humankind being welcomed back 
into paradise. All things are restored. Revelation mends the rip that was opened in Genesis. With this vision, we learn the end of the human story, and it is a hopeful story for us. I want to suggest that we are between the gardens, that we live between the gardens. We're not there yet. We're still working the soil. We currently live neither in Eden nor in the New Jerusalem garden. That's why it's helpful to hear another garden story in the book of Ezekiel. Let's listen to some of the words that are similar to those in Revelation. Ezekiel reminds you there was a priest who was snatched from his homeland in Judah, forced to live in exile in Babylon. Ezekiel became God's spokesperson to the exiles. He foresaw the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians and the grief that this, evident, that this would bring to all of the Jews. But then Ezekiel saw a vision of God's restoration of the people. So he says this land was desolate and it has become like the Garden of Eden. The implication of this phrase is that God was going to plow a new field. Not only would the people be restored to the land, but they would experience newness in their spirit. Through Ezekiel, God said, a new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you the heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. We who don't live in Eden and haven't arrived at the new Jerusalem are like the people of Judah in Ezekiel's day who hear that a restoration is coming but still live in the midst of a world in which some of the things seems to be broken and jagged. We've experienced broken relationships, haven't we? We've experienced frayed promises, worn out hopes and dreams, derailed plans, and in some situations we have settled for second best. What's more, living in the hope of the restoration is extremely difficult because the Bible talks about restoration to something that you and I have never experienced before. We didn't live back in Eden. We only read about it. And so the writer, John, is helping us to get a glimpse of what it's going to be like. So to hope for that restoration means longing to return to a situation we've never lived. But restoration in the Bible is one of the words that is used to encapsulate the return of Christ and the arrival of the kingdom of God in all its fullness. He has come, and the scripture says he will come again. In Acts, we read of one of the Apostle Peter's sermons, it's in chapter 3, to a crowd who had gathered around the temple grounds, and among the things that he says to him is this, repent therefore and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come to you from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the, the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until a time of universal and Paul writes, restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. 
This hope of restoration is a hope that allows us to carry on when everything else seems to go wrong. And I believe that with all my heart. On earth as it is in heaven. I would like to suggest that re restoration, restore, restoration is like reforestation to a land that has been stripped of its trees. Think about it. In a way, we live in a deforested world. And like God is going to restore us, God is going to reforest as he redeems this broken earth. Have you ever looked at uh, an aerial map of Haiti and the Dominican Republic? I encourage you to do that. Go on NASA's website and you can Google that. Go on NASA's website and search for it. But if you look at a a map from space of Haiti and the Dominican Republic, which are on the same island of San Domingo, you will see something that should be shocking. It should be something that's unsettling to you. And that is, when you look at Haiti, it looks like desert. And the Dominican Republic looks lush. It is because back in colonial days, when the, the, the island was split and the west was French and the right was Spanish, and the French deforested it, they would bring slaves over and then leave them off there. And then they had to load the ships with something, so they cut down the timber and loaded the ships so they wouldn't have an empty cargo. And they went on. So Haiti was deforested. And to this day, that is one of the major reasons why Haiti suffers. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. There are a lot of other things. But the deforestation of Haiti is one of the major issues for hunger and poverty and all of the other things. So when you and I look to love God and love neighbor, one of the things that we need to pay attention to is how we steward the creation that God has given us. And that means that we need to be involved in helping plant a tree. Like Martin Luther said, if the world were going to end tomorrow, I'd plant a tree today. So think about that as we steward this earth and seek to love neighbor as ourselves. We are living in the in-between time. Let us allow the Spirit of God to guide our thinking, our doing, and our planting. Matthew Sleet, in his book, Reforesting Faith, says, One of the simplest and most direct ways we can pass along God's good earth in better condition than we received it is to plant trees. By planting and caring for trees, we show our loving respect for the owner, who is the Lord Almighty, And we extend love to neighbor. There's a story following that is told following the great fire of Chicago in 1871. A shopkeeper returned to what had been his shop and it was in smoldering ruin. And he said, everything is lost except wife, children, and hope. Business will resume as usual in the morning. That's hope. That's universal restoration. 
That sign could describe the circumstances of many of us who trust God. We've lost a whole lot. But I still have my hope in God, the one who is going to come and restore us and redeem us and who promises to give us a hope and a future. It's important to be reminded of this great hope. That hope is the confidence that no matter what in our life goes wrong, whatever weeds of disappointment creep in, whatever crabgrass tries to take over, whether the moles and voles are at work, that God who is on the timetable of eternity will restore all that has been lost. In the meantime, between the two gardens, our goal should be an orchard in heaven to drink from the spring of the river of the water of life that we might yield good fruit month after month and we as the leaves of God's trees would be for the healing of the nations. Trees are the only things from our childhood that are bigger when we go back to visit them as adults. Our faith should be like that. I, I pray that my faith would be like that that my faith would be stronger than it was yesterday and not as strong as it will be tomorrow. The Bible doesn't tell us to be like a house or a chariot or a lion. The Bible tells us to be like a tree. Grow, Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Grow. Put down deep roots. Reach for the sun. Branch out and love your neighbor. Bloom where you are planted. Make the world a better place and bear much fruit. Pray with me.